Welcome everyone to another episode of the House of Wisdom podcast where we interview academic influencers about their research and how it can shape the world. I am Deepak Mauer, an academic. And I'm someone else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Oh, yeah. I suppose so far every episode we've said something else different for you. I think episode one, you were, you were a corporate person. Episode two, I just ignored you. And episode three, I think we nailed something down. So I'm, I'm still figuring out who I am. <laughs> See, yeah, yeah, you're having a bit I of think it's gonna take voice. it's gonna take a long time for me to figure that out. Right. I'm on a journey right now. <laughs> on a journey. By the by the end of this season, you might you might have it figured out, but let's see. I think we could we could say I am a, a non-academic. That would summarize it. <laughs> okay. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it's quite cool. So Deepak, we we released three of our episodes in October. Mm-hmm. And for me, the reception's been absolutely amazing. Um, it, what what yeah. do you think? It's, it's kind of surreal for me. Yeah. In terms of the episodes are out there, we're having... University Kent uh, tweeted about both of us, but then also the Kent Law School had like a specific tweet about me, which is kind of, sur- it's really strange, like, people out there also contacting us. So we've had a lot of people that have listened to it, I've had a few students that have listened to it, and then I've had meetings with them, and they've just talked about how interesting it was for them reading and listening up into these different topics that they never thought about. And I know one popular one has been the Mon Slavery episode. I think that's really... Yeah. Um, had a lot of interest and one student that was just really got really passionate about the whole topic so it's been it's been phenomenal and I just like to thank everyone that's taken the time to listen to get involved to to also retweet us we've had a few people that have retweeted our our work and we're really grateful uh, for all the promotion and for all the support that you've all given nowadays it's really helped us and it's made us believe actually I think it's made us believe we're onto something big and that we could you know, start something that could really have a huge influence, not only just, you know, in terms of the academic community, but in issues that need that attention and issues that need to be discussed to the wider public. So for me, it's given me that confidence to just push on with what we're doing. And I think, you know, the future is pretty bright for us, I'd say, right, Anik? I think it's really bright, Deepak. And the amount of people that have liked our stuff and the amount of conversation we've had with people that have liked our stuff on Twitter, for example, a lot of the people that we plan on bringing on in the future have come through yeah. interaction on Twitter. Yeah. And um, that, that's been fantastic for us, obviously. Um, but I would like to give a specific call out to the two people who gave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. I think one of them was me. <laughs> Oh, the other one was me. We had a message. We had a chat about this earlier, right? In terms of, oh, I gave. I saw another five star review. I gave one, but I'm not sure who the other one was. I said, I think the other one was me who gave the five star review. So yeah, so doing... um, yeah, a big thank you for you for us. <laughs> for, doing that. for us, yeah, uh, yeah. I suppose, yeah. Um, we're doing our best to to promote it much, as much as possible, right? Put the uh, the analytics in there. Um, yeah. for us to... but 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 you know going back to your point earlier about you know the, the future i would say we're booked up now until i think may right and the amount of people that we're talking to who have shown interest in joining or being part of the podcast and weirdly not not just even academics right you know once we shot out that uh, modern slavery episode 
um, you know, Anti-Slavery International, the yep. world's oldest human rights organization, picked that up, thought it was a really interesting thing we're doing. And, and the themes that we're going to cover over the next few months has me just super excited, right? We've got mental health, we've got climate change, we've got conflict resolution, and we've got much more coming up. Um, so I'm super excited about where we're heading and I've got, I think we talk all the time, we've got so many ideas of where we can take this and I can't, you know, can't wait to explore each of those areas. Yeah, and he, I mean, you've done an awesome job in terms of kind of just describing the future episodes. We've got some really exciting and amazing people from a whole host of universities that we're going to be talking to in the future. So, you know, we've got we realize we've got like a season kind of schedule so we'll have season one and season two and and season one we've, we're pretty much booked up we we are not going to be you know contacting any more people it's it's you know we're kind of booked up which is awesome in terms of you know getting to this point where i think initially when we thought how are we going to get any people on to now be booked up for the whole year after just our first three episodes after a big no. month it's actually no. been a month where we've been out, out and about doing this to be to the point where we've got a whole load of guests planned for the year ahead. It's uh, I'm so proud of what we managed and what we achieved. So. Yeah, and um, super, super grateful as well for for Adam and the artwork he's been kind of providing for each episode. They look absolutely fantastic, and the way he kind of takes the ideas that you know of the episode and translates that into a piece of art is it's just we're so lucky to have him. Yeah. Um, but you you again talked about you know the concept of seasons. And I think everyone's going to love the idea that we have for season one or, or the finale for season one. Uh, we're not going to say any more, yeah. but because we are looking at this as seasons, we always have to kind of end every season on something big. Yeah, um, we, we're going to be Game of Thrones awesome. enough, right? We're going to have like a Game of <laughs> yeah. Thrones season finale. I mean... Mic drop. <laughs> mic drop. <I> mean, <laughs> um, so we've talked so much, um, but Deepak, who, what, what, what are we talking about in this episode? Um, before that, you kind of mentioned okay. Adam. Um, before you mentioned, so Adam obviously has helped out. I'd also kind of, again, like to thank Leo Lopez, who's done our music. Yes. So a lot of people have said how the music makes us seem so much more professional, makes us seem so much more kind of like yeah. unique and got our own character. So Leo Lopez, again, if you're listening out, thank you. Yeah. For the rest of you listeners, check out his new album. Yeah. I think it's called Melange. I've been listening to it a fair bit. It is, it is awesome. So Deepak, tell us about what's happening on this episode. Okay, so... Real change of um, topic. We've gone from some very legally orientated uh, topics, some business orientated topics, to now going to psychology. And so this episode, we are have got a really interesting topic. And it's quite interesting for us because we are not that accustomed to this. For example, I mean, the previous episode, there's a law, there's a law element to it. There's an economics element to it. There's a, there's a business element to it, right? This we're going in, you know, as a layman. And I think this has been really interesting for us to look at how social media influencers and YouTubers or Instagrammers, how they promote junk food to children and the psychological effects it's having on these kids and just the, the kind of the, the influence these these individuals these these people are having on these children it's, it's quite a fascinating thing that that needs to be looked at that needs to be addressed and the concerns of it are pretty uh, worrying in terms of you know rising levels of obesity um, children's kind of addiction to you know unhealthy foods so there's a lot of things that we talked about in this episode which I think is really important you know not just for academics or parents for 
you know, YouTubers and, and social media influencers to be aware of exactly, you know, the responsibility and the powers that they have. Great. Let's get on with the episode. Let's do it. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the House of Wisdom podcast. Our guest is Dr. Anna Coates. Anna works in the Department of Psychological Sciences and a demonstrator in the School of Psychology at the University of Liverpool. Anna holds a Master's in Philosophy and a Bachelor of Science in Psychology from the University of Manchester. Anna's recent PhD examined the impact of digital food marketing on children's eating behaviour. Welcome to the show, Anna. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. So we like to start the show with a few light-hearted questions so we and our listeners can learn a bit more about the person behind the academic. The first one is, who would you want with you if you were stuck in the house of wisdom, living or not? Okay, um, tough question. I think I'd struggle with anyone for that period of time. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Somebody famous, I think it's going to have to be a YouTuber. And that's because I've spent four years of my life during my PhD studying this person. Um, and I did try and get interviews with her for studies within the PhD and didn't get any response. So I think by having her as my guest in the House of Wisdom, she'd have no option um, other than to sort of answer my question. So it would be Zoella, who is... Um, one of the UK's biggest YouTubers with kids anyway. Um, and yeah, I think I'd choose her just to sort of get to know her a bit more because I only feel like I know her online persona. So it'd be interesting to see if she's different in real life. Yeah, I suppose that's one way of nailing them down, right? So um, it, it sounds exactly. like she's she's kind of missed and, and um, not read your uh, your messages. So there, you definitely got us stuck in there and <laughs> there's no way out for her. She's definitely going to have to talk to you about that. But I actually think... <laughs> I think that's actually a really good one in terms of because you've obviously kind of done the research over, over your over these last four years and you've kind of got to know her content. So it'd be quite interesting to get to know the person behind the 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 videos, right? And I think that's actually quite quite a cool thing for you to maybe just get to know that person. And I suppose you kind of get you kind of know them already if you've kind of seen their videos. So you probably know what they're gonna kind of be like. So you know what to expect when you are in the house of wisdom with them. Exactly. And if it isn't that, then that's you know interesting in itself but yeah I've never I'd love to know her perspective on basically yeah what I've found in my research and those kind of things so yeah it'd be a great opportunity for that. Fantastic so going on to that second question as we're talking about kind of unhealthy foods and healthy foods um, we thought it'd be a good question to ask you what's kind of that signature healthy dish that you're really proud of so in terms of like your culinary um, efficiency uh, what's that meal that you make that you're like yes this is this is my dish it's a pretty healthy one uh, and that you know if you had guests over you definitely put that on on the table for all for all your guests mm. I don't well so I live off stir fry I have that quite a lot and I just find that's a really quick way to get in a lot of vegetables I don't know whether it's a dinner party dish and how I jazzed it up so that it was yeah um but in terms of pride over lockdown my boyfriend and I converted the garden that we share with six other flats basically into an allotment so we've been growing a lot of vegetables um, and they all sort of came into life in the summer so we made a lot of stuff from the garden um, and that was like a pride thing because yeah when you're eating something you've grown it's it's a nice feeling so maybe like a homegrown stir fry 
Yeah, I, I think there is something special about when you've definitely um, kind of created it or built it up and, and made it yourself. There's kind of that extra kind of feeling of this tastes so much better because it's my, I've done this. I've helped grow this. I think there's a definite addition to like, oh, yeah, this is so much better than maybe I'm buying it from the, from the local grocery store or something. Yeah. And at one point we couldn't actually move for the amount of broccoli we had. Um, <laughs> so there's no other option than to, to get it eaten. So. Was it so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the whole week? Oh, broccoli, yeah. I we were it. giving it away. Um, we were freezing it, looking at how to do that properly. Yeah, it was it was a nightmare actually at one point. <laughs> but yeah, we got through it. Okay. So with the light-hearted questions out of the way, in, in this episode we are talking about the potential drivers of obesity. Obesity is a complex health condition. It is a risk factor for several chronic conditions, including diabetes, heart disease, and various forms of cancer and it is becoming common around the world. In the UK, it is estimated to affect around one in four adults and around one in every five children aged 10 to 11. It is a complex area with many facets. Anna, you are focusing on a novel area in relation to this topic, specifically the role of social media influences on children's eating behaviors. Can you tell us briefly about how your work feeds into this? No pun intended. Yes, my research focuses on the impact of influences on children's eating behaviour. Um, there's research that shows that celebrity um, endorsement campaigns, so when you have a celebrity promoting um, a food, that when children see these campaigns that they prefer and that they go on to consume more food than children who um, don't see the campaign. So I was interested to see whether an influencer would have a similar effect to a celebrity. Um, and we found that they do. So when children are shown images of these individuals, either on Instagram or YouTube, when they're promoting foods that are high in fat, salt or sugar, and children are shown those um, that content, they then go on to consume more at intake than those children who don't see um, the same influencer with a food product they, they maybe see them with a non-food product um, and we've also found through qualitative research that children are um, quite engaged with this kind of um, marketing technique so they actually enjoy seeing what influencers um, promote in their content um, which is unlike other types of advertising which are often um, described by children as, as maybe being more irritating and disruptive um, so, yeah, from our research, we've found that this is just another avenue that food marketers are using in order to expose children to their um, products. So what I found fascinating about this um, project was I think I think for a layman, they might think, oh, yeah, that's definitely uh, a likelihood. But what's brilliant about this research is actually done the hard work and then done the nitty gritty to actually identify and explain and justify exactly these kind of um, arguments that, social media influencers will have such a, a significant influence on young children and like you say that these children actually are really attracted to by these kind of ways of, of promoting these kind of foods for me i kind of want to start off asking you what kind of some of the examples of these kind of new forms of food marketing so what what should we be looking out for really well social media is it's just ideal for marketers really because the whole purpose is that it connects people with other people. Um, but obviously within that, brands can sort of cash in. So brands not only have their own social media um, sites where they can become you know, friends with um, people that follow them, 
but they can also get just regular people that are using social media to actually do their marketing for them Um, and they do this by um, you know putting up immersive fun campaigns um, that are going to attract people to like it and share it with others and when these kind of campaigns are shared by peers or people that we know we're more likely to trust that recommendation than perhaps we would direct from a brand where there is an incentive to sell as a product and so I think that's the real main sort of area is on social media would be the more subtle forms of marketing that perhaps we're less um, likely to put a defense up against and that would be something coming from somebody that you know. Yes, certainly for me, I think I was kind of thinking of it, it's, it's, it's very much changing the way products are advertised. So, so I was kind of thought when I was reading your articles was rather than just kind of maybe, for example, let's say a um, Nutella, let's take an example. They, they might rather than just kind of showing Nutella right in front of the screen, it's maybe let's have a crazy video where um, one of these YouTubers might be sitting in a bathtub of Nutella. And I think that is kind of a very more subtle form of, of marketing. And I think that's having that kind of effective resonance on children from from what I was gathering from what you've read what you've done in your research that's something I kind of took away from in terms of it's not direct advertising it's just the fact that that product's in in the video it's kind of a prop and that's done that job of actually like a kid going oh actually I might want that product I want because what I saw from your research was it was the exact product that was promoted in the in the or shown or used in the video that was the one that started to have more of the children um, consuming yeah exactly so with these kind of um techniques so when it when it's embedded in a youtuber's video um and that youtuber has either been sent the product by the brand or they've been gifted it um to be featured it's very difficult especially for a child to differentiate that content from as as basically as seeing that content as advertising or seeing it as just a youtuber's organic you know, recommendation. This is the product I like. You should like it too. Um, it's less obvious as, you know, a, an actual real way of trying to persuade somebody to choose that brand over another. Um, and for that reason, that's why um, but I became interested in it. Like, are children perceptive to it? Because as adults, we can sort of, well, we think we can see through it. Um, you know, why would somebody be bathing in a bath of Natalia? There has to be a reason more sinister behind it than that they you know they just choose to do that so i i didn't <laughs> i didn't watch this video where uh, nutella was poured all over a bathtub but i'm, I'm quite curious now uh, to check that out i think it's my dream more than more than the <laughs> well, actual thing that's happened <laughs> um anna you mentioned uh, in, in one of your previous performances about defense and um you you explained briefly in one of your papers about the importance of the food marketing defense model and so I do imagine children have not mastered all the defense mechanisms and therefore are more susceptible to these advertising compared to older groups. Is that, is that something you found quite evident that obviously these, these groups of children who in some cases, like, like you pointed out, they are, they are below the age of 13 and in most cases should not be on the social media platforms. Um, is, that, is that something you found quite significant in your research? Yeah. Um, so this model um, was proposed by Harris and colleagues in America. And what the model suggests is that in order for a child to resist food marketing, they need to fulfill four different criteria. So they need to have an awareness that advertising is happening. They need an understanding of what advertising is. So in other words, that it's 
you know, intended to persuade. Um, and alongside that, they need a motivation and an ability to resist that marketing. So there's a general consensus that by the age of 12 or 13, children do have an awareness that advertising is happening and an understanding. Um, and that because of that, they are then more able to resist that message. But what this model suggests is that that having an understanding and awareness simply doesn't always mean that they'll resist the marketing message. And that's particularly the case with foods um, that are high in fat, salt and sugar, which are you know, the kind of foods that children are desiring and having a preference for anyway. Um, they also then need to be able to be motivated to resist that marketing. Um, and as we know, children compared to adults are far more, um, you know, they're risk takers, they're impulsive, they're making decisions that aren't particularly, you know, based on long-term goals such as health, um, they're more likely to act in the moment. So for these reasons, this is why children should be more protected from um, these kind of campaigns. And, and do you think the concept of marketing becomes very blurred now that we, or now that children are receiving this content through social media rather than on television where maybe it's quite a bit more explicit that this is an advert selling a product during a child child's TV programme versus product placement within the social media influencers videos yeah exactly so traditionally it would have been a television advert you'd be watching a program there'd be a clear break in the program um a series of adverts and then you're back to the program so children's awareness that that is advertising is going to be a lot higher than when it's embedded like you say in a youtube video somebody with a towel in the bath for example because these are videos that children are choosing to watch either because they enjoy that particular youtuber you know they can relate to them or they see them as fun and entertaining and they're choosing to watch them for that reason so when marketing is embedded within that content it's far more difficult for a child to see that as advertising because there is no clear break in the content it's still the youtuber talking to the viewer um, about things that they like and that's the content that they're they're choosing to watch anyway so, so I kind of want to make sure that I got the research um, I understood the research correctly because so in one of the findings you found that so when unhealthy foods so um, foods that were high in sugar um, salt and fats were promoted you definitely saw an increase uh, in children consuming that whereas when you had perhaps healthier foods maybe fruit and vegetables being promoted it didn't have the same effect am I correct in in that yes so we had a study where we had um three different groups of children taking part so one group of children saw the influencers Instagram page with them promoting unhealthy foods another group saw the same Instagram page same influencer but the foods were healthy and another group which was our control was the influencer um, with non-food products so things like an iPhone um, and we predicted that in both of the conditions where foods were featured that we'd seen increase in intake um, when children were offered these foods afterwards so we found that children that who saw the unhealthy foods increased their intake of the unhealthy foods when offered them afterwards um, and we did predict that the healthy foods um, intake would be increased when they saw an influencer so somebody that they know is popular and is consuming these foods, we thought that that may nudge these children to sort of 
increase their own intake when they were offered healthy foods, but we didn't find an effect. So it's not what we anticipated to find, but actually when you read you know, the existing research that's been done, when whenever there's advertising of healthy foods, there's always a smaller effect compared to the unhealthy foods, which are the f- foods that children are more likely to um, desire. Um, so it's, I mean, it's not too surprising we didn't find an effect. Um, but yeah, they need, we need to sort of find out other ways to promote these foods um, and children's consumption of them. So I was quite surprised. I kind of expected you just kind of replace the unhealthy foods with the healthy foods and job done, but it's actually not that easy. So, so, so it, it sounds like you weren't that surprised by that, but um, so it's not kind of just an easy fix in terms of just replacing unhealthy products with healthier products. I think there needs to be a perhaps more um, tools to kind of deal with this issue. And I think you kind of alluded to a certain degree in terms of actually having that conversation with the children. I think perhaps putting the responsibility on the children to realize what's going on might be a better way of doing it. Because for me, I was definitely shocked that um, it wasn't just a matter of these social media influences being so impressionable that the the children will just kind of lap up anything they'll be promoting to them. So, you know, what obviously that you perhaps have not got to this point in terms of actually realizing what are the solutions and, and maybe that's a bit unfair to kind of expect you to kind of, kind of come up with the solutions. But, you know, having looked at kind of the research that you've done and the studies that you take you, or you undertook, what were maybe some of the ideas to maybe dealing with this whole issue with with um, unhealthy be- foods being so much more alluring for for children? Yeah, so I don't think children should be um, responsible um, for basically being able to defend against these influences. Um, so although when I've done focus groups with children, they all seem to be quite um, aware that these techniques are there in order to make us choose that brand, consume more of that product. Um, these kind of opinions are coming out from me directly asking them about it. Whereas with advertising, it's far more subtle than that. So it may be that, you know, children are watching or um, YouTube videos, looking at Instagram where this kind of advertising is happening, but they're not consciously consciously processing it as they would be with me directly asking them about it. Um, And so for that reason, I think there needs to be more regulation to stop children actually seeing these kind of ads in the first place, rather than putting the onus on the child to sort of defend against them themselves. I suppose, like with any kind of initial regression analysis that you you over time will be thinking about other variables that you want to bring in and test the hypothesis on and see their significance. So, you know, obviously in your research, you've looked at blogger exposure but you've also looked at existing BMI, age, and, and a few other um, kind of variables. In your future thinking, will, will that encapsulate the brand itself or the brand existing brand exposure or um, whether they've seen those things in TV already? Because I can imagine um, if you really like a crunchy and a vlogger is advertising a crunchy, then you're probably a bit more um, susceptible to wanting to have that later on. Yeah, exactly. So... We, we try to control for um, things like children's preference for the brand before um, exposure, et cetera. Um, but what a lot of these companies do is that they have people working for the brand and looking at influences and comments under their videos, looking for like um, things that the brands that the influencer mentions, uh, things that the children are interested in or, or any viewers interested in, whether their brands are mentioned 
And then it's these people that are then targeted to promote their products. So with influencer marketing, it's all about making sure the product fits with that influencer in the first place. Because if it doesn't, it stands out and, you know, people will be more likely to, I don't know, defend against it and sort of think, oh, no, this is like a target to sell, etc. Whereas if it fits with them anyway, um, you know, it's likely that you're watching it because you find there's overlap in your interest and theirs. Um, and it's when these influencers are then paid to promote products that fit, that's when we it's going to be the most impactful in terms of um, affecting a consumer. So I kind of always think right now we're, we're in an age where the internet's a bit of the kind of wild west where anything's kind of up for grabs and anything's okay. I definitely feel like the regulation part of, of, of this aspect is really important. Would you agree with that in terms of there needs to be perhaps more responsibility on the various social media platforms, even governments per se, um, to do something about this? So maybe the responsibility, rather than, I think I'm being a bit unfair on children to expect them to, to have the responsibility, but maybe the, um, the social media platforms, um, the various governments to get involved to tackle this. So more of the responsibility you know, on, this, on those, on those um, institutions, on those um, sectors, rather than perhaps the people viewing them and watching them yeah definitely um so it needs it needs to be sort of all-encompassing so it needs to be coming from the government so having actual statutory regulation rather than self-regulation where the food industry and the advertising industries are regulating it um social media platforms do have the tools to prevent certain um groups of people seeing um advertising so with age-restricted products such as um, alcohol or gambling nobody under 18 should be seeing those um, adverts um, so they, there are tools that these platforms have available to them in order to um, control what we see so the issue is with children is that these platforms um, like we've said earlier children aren't supposed to be on them so most platforms have a minimum age restriction of 13 years, but we know that children are on there. So they're able to do so either by looking at the content without an account. So you can just simply go on YouTube. You don't need an account to view content there. Um, they can use a fake date of birth when they create an account, or perhaps they can use a parent's account. Um, and this is, you know, this is the ways that they're able to access um, social media. So really easy to do. But when it comes to the regulations around food marketing in particular, at the moment, um, anyone under the age of 16 shouldn't be targeted with food advertising. Um, and if 25% of the audience is classed as below under 16, again, food advertising shouldn't be appearing in that content. But because we know that children are finding all different ways around these rules because it's so easy to do so when the regulators are using user demographics in order to to determine you know who what is the age of the user of that particular content are we able to have this advert inserted in there um it's completely inaccurate because it it will come out that the users are perhaps a lot older than they are because they're you know using their parents account using a fake date of birth so there needs to be a much clearer system and accurate way of determining exactly who is a user on social media and therefore able to see certain types of um advert i think it's quite interesting to see kind of the flip side of it because i think all of us use youtube quite a lot and follow the youtube personalities and i do remember i think certain regulations were put into place at the start of the year that you had to kind of declare whether you um 
had adult material so then um children wouldn't be able to see i think something along those lines so the children wouldn't be able to watch those videos or i think it's the monetizing element of it and what i saw was quite a big backlash from youtubers about that issue about the terms of we have to kind of highlight if we are um child children friendly or not um for the sake of you know making sure that they can monetize their videos i think it's really interesting to see the flip side and exactly the reasoning behind that i think your research and this discussion highlights you know a lot, i think a lot of a lot of people that watch youtube will be, be part of perhaps siding with the youtuber saying oh why is this happening why is this more regulation but i think your research is showing actually there's a reason behind um this kind of regulation that's been taking place because it's having a serious effect on children so i think it's really important that this kind of conversation is being had so we can have a bit more of a, a complex discussion and not a one-sided discussion where everyone's just rallying against the whole point of these kind of youtube regulations coming in to play yeah definitely and i think at the end of the day it's done for a reason so there's always this thing with you know people don't see food as you know food marketing as as bad as perhaps tobacco marketing or alcohol for example but when you know there's a wealth of research that shows that when children are seeing these kind of foods which are everywhere it's not just advertising on youtube it's you know when you go to the supermarket when you get on a bus when you walk down a high street it's everywhere um so when you've also pairing that up with the increasing rates of obesity then yeah something has to be done and and do you think some of the measures that you know, the Prime Minister outlined in July about kind of NHS prescriptions for bike riding are are heading in the right direction, albeit that that's not specifically targeted at children. But is it, you know, it's an acknowledgement, I suppose, from the UK that we do have an issue and we need to do something about it. Yeah, I think, yeah, so the announcement in um, July was great. So it's all a step in the right direction. Um, but it will be something that has to come from lots of different sides. So I think one of the main issues is that at the moment, unhealthy foods are just so much cheaper to buy than healthy foods. And they're the unhealthy foods are the ones that are marketed the most. Um, you know, they're packaged in colourful packaging um, and they're branded, um, so, which makes them easier to advertise. So it has to be a shift from lots of different um, angles in order for real change to be seen. And how do you think your your research will now develop to help us reach some more tangible, let's say, policy decisions, or even you know highlighting that exact point that you just made that we this is a multidisciplined uh, requirement to solve this, and we all need to come together to come up with a kind of industry wide and kind of UK policy framework for this. Yeah, I think it would be nice just to it's just get people thinking a bit more about it perhaps because I think we all just accept that you know it's these kind of foods that are everywhere and perhaps when you especially with children and adolescents if you raise their awareness of you know perhaps this isn't the right environment to be growing up in and they should be able to have more choices for healthy foods and it doesn't have to be this way then that could bring about real change so I know um Bite Back 2030 is a campaign co-founded by Jamie Oliver that gets adolescents really thinking about these issues and, and talking about them. Um, and as a result of the research that I've been doing, I think they got onto that and sort of they ended up being um, a letter, an open letter written to influencers by teenagers to pledge them to stop advertising these foods in their content. So things like that, um, I think if you build enough momentum with that, that 
that creates a big um, impact. So kind of coming back to your research and looking at kind of the role of social media influencers, would you also say that they perhaps might need to take a bit more responsibility on it? Bearing in mind, I think it might be quite difficult for them because to a certain degree, they're going against their own interests in terms of saying no to these um, to these companies that are willing to sponsor them. Because I remember definitely in your one of your papers that you said that I think about, I think, is it 16 million pounds or dollars is um, is is healthy foods sponsorship whereas compared that to unhealthy foods they're sponsoring about 300 million dollars worth or pounds worth of um sponsorship so so i think it's kind of yes it might be kind of going against the interests of the social media influencers but is there a level of responsibility that they need to take on with this problem with this with this issue yes this is the tricky one because um obviously social media is all about putting whatever you like out there within reason so it'd be difficult to sort of regulate exactly what youtubers um, and other celebrities are putting within their content but I think when it comes to content that is commercially driven um, so either they're paid by a brand or they're gifted by a brand then they they should have more conscience about that. So just thinking that through in terms of your next steps what 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 are your What's your thinking now in terms of developing this research out further and kind of moving to the next phase, I suppose, of policy formulation potentially? Is that is that the natural next step for where your work heads, Anna? I'm hoping to look more at um, the relationship that a viewer has with an influencer and then the moderating impact that would have on the advertising. Um, a lot of the... Um, children in my research you know they got really excited when they were talking about their favorite youtuber um somebody that they watch for reasons personal to them so whether it's because they relate to them or perhaps they the this particular person gets to do things that they wish they could in real life and so they get to escape in their videos and etc um i i really would like to to focus more on that so tailoring the advertising that the child sees within the experiment so that it's from a YouTuber or influencer that they really like because that I think that's where the most impact is going to come in and that's what you know brands know about when they're collaborating with influencers they're choosing people who they know are well respected with their viewers um, and it's those people that are going to see that advertising so that that's why it's more powerful than perhaps advertising on television where it's shown during a program and um, they've got a, an idea of the sort of person that watches that program but it's it's not quite the same as somebody that sat down on their own tuning into a youtube video and it's um just them and the youtuber and yeah it's it's just far more intimate and i think that's where um that that's where it's headed that's why a lot of the um advertising industry and food industries are putting so much money now into influencer marketing yeah, and I suppose it's not even advertising anymore, right? Where, where, like we said earlier, there was a defined block of time during a TV show for that specific content. Now it's always on demand. You can access that advertising whenever you want, and you don't know really whether you are being advertised to or not. And these individuals, like you said, are not celebrities. And so in some cases, they build a, an even greater personal connection with you which makes selling something or indirectly selling something just a lot easier. 
um, we, one of the things that I did pick up in your paper was about the kind of ruling in 2017 to introduce kind of a self-regulatory code for non-broadcast media. And it's clear that people of a certain age, like you mentioned, below 16, are still able to access this content, even though they probably should not. How effective do you think this self-regulatory code has been? Well, even by their own admission, it's not effective. Um, so these rules were introduced and then a year later, the regulator did sort of a monitoring report to see um, how well brands had adhered to these new rules. Um, and they found in a two week period that children were seeing up to a thousand different um, adverts. And that's just on child directed um, content on digital media. So not including um, content with general appeal that we know children actually are more likely to watch anyway. Um, so yeah, self-regulation isn't the way to go. And there's lots of reasons why it's not effective. So some I've touched on earlier. So the fact that the um, user demographic information is used to determine who's watching it, we know that's not accurate. Um, there's also no real sanctions for companies that don't comply. So um, there's no fines. It's a case of the name of the brand will be published on the regulator's website or that the advert has to be taken down. And yeah, it's based, It's also based on the proportion of children watching content rather than the actual number. So when we go back to influencers, we know that you know they can have tens of millions of followers. So when you're looking at proportions and finding that 25% of children are still able to see that content and that's fine, that means millions of children are still able to see the advert. So yeah, self-regulation isn't great, um, which is why these new proposed um, rules from the government, which came in in July, um, where we'll have a watershed on advertising in both television and digital, um, would be really welcomed. So that would avoid having to look at proportions of um, audiences or age-directed content. It would simply be, you cannot advertise these foods until after 9pm. Um, so yeah, that's due to be implemented before the end of 2022. Um, with digital, it's less easy to see how they'll do that efficiently, especially with something like influencer marketing, which is embedded in the video itself. So how would that be monitored? Um, but yeah, a step in the right direction, definitely. I kind of want to talk to you about um, outreach initiatives. I think for most academics, for most research, I think outreach is really important in terms of actually and this podcast is very much focused on that idea where we go beyond the academic bubble we try to tap into the wider general public and and make them aware of 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 the kind of research that we're doing i think this is the kind of topic where that is perhaps more important than ever is that people are understanding especially for parents right parents know okay my children will be watching youtube this could happen so it gives them kind of gives them that um defense to know how to deal with it in terms of um outreach first of all you know what how do you see outreach is, is it a very important aspect um generally for for academics and did you have any experiences with outreach with the with the work that you've conducted in this in this research project yeah i think it's so important um that this kind of well any research gets into the public eye um so yeah great to be on the podcast talking about it hopefully um we'll raise a few people's awareness about it um in terms of what the outcome of the research was so with my first study for my phd i was really lucky that um 
there was a press release with the the journal that I published with so that created quite a, a lot of attention and then there was, ended up being an article in the BBC News and then in CNN in America so it was it was great actually and it was really um exciting sort of being able to spread to everybody sort of what I'd found um and one of the reasons was because there hadn't been any research looking at this before um but in terms of with with parents I've tried to do my best to sort of any schools that I work with I go in afterwards and sort of talk to them about uh social media and digital marketing um and yeah the sort of feel I've got is that parents are aware it's happening but they're so limited as to what they can do because you know kids have smartphones um it's 24 7 digital marketing it can be accessed now it's not a case of when you turn the telly on it's there it's it's all the time and also it's targeted to the user so um parents are you know they can't do as much as perhaps they'd like just because of the nature of um how this advertising is delivered um but yeah definitely like the more people know about it hopefully the more sort of there is a movement towards fighting back against it so I, I think when I when I first read your work and stuff, I, I, I just thought I got quite pessimistic about how to deal with it. But, you know, having this conversation with you and hearing about the kind of different techniques, different ways that we can um, deal with this issue and tackle this problem, it definitely gives me a little bit of hope that this is something that we can deal with. There are opportunities to tackle this issue and make sure that, you know, children aren't being um, exposed to this kind of um, uh, this promotion and marketing. So I'm, you know, this has definitely been a, a positive conversation on that basis. Yeah, that's good. And and also, it's not to say that influencer marketing as a technique doesn't necessarily have to be bad. So at the moment, it's all commercially driven, but there are examples of good things coming out of it um, as well. So um, I know that during with coronavirus, um, the government has paired with quite a few um, big influencers in the UK to promote awareness of the test and trace app, um, for example. And, you know, these people have got millions of followers, followers so it's a really easy way to, to send a positive message um, as well. So although we didn't find um, a positive effect of the influences in our study when they promoted healthy foods, um, that doesn't mean to say that it isn't going to work. It, it's, it's more likely that there has to be a shift with other areas within our environment as well. So it has to be something that, you know, there's a lot of different approaches taken rather than just one. Dr. Coates, it's been a huge pleasure. Um, thank you for your time. And uh, we've thoroughly enjoyed this uh, conversation. Oh, thank you both very much. It's been great. So that was the episode with Dr. Anna Coates. Yeah, I think, um, it was interesting in terms of the fact that there were certain things that I was I was surprised the kind of outcomes of the study um, in terms of kind of the, the sheer influence of health, unhealthy foods on children and the impression that they have, um, that these kind of products have on children was something I was really shocked by. And I think this is an issue not only just about children, but kind of the wider discussion about obesity. That's why I think we were quite interested in having Anna on and... Um, I think her insight and her research is something really important that needs to be definitely you know, brought out further into kind of the wider public for this kind of topic to be discussed a bit more 
um, in depthly, not only just on a kind of, I suppose, on a public level, but also on a polit political level in terms of, you know, government and, and parliament discussing this issue and how to tackle the influence that the internet is having on children to start consuming unhealthy foods and the, and the long-term effects of kind of these kind of um, advertising and campaigns. Yeah, I, I thought the, the conversation with, with Dr. Anna Coates was, it's very insightful. It was, it's a brand new, I think, area of investigation. And um, yes, it probably is very com comparable with um, kind of mainstream broadcasting techniques in that, you know, they are already advertising this type of food, but at least it's, it's very explicit. Whereas the advertising online is so implicit, it's very hard, especially if you're a child and, you know, she was taking us through that kind of food defense model. You haven't really mastered all of those techniques. You, you're, you're just really susceptible to uh, these um, this type of implicit advertising. Yeah. And you know, before the before the interview, you know, we spent time a bit of time researching, and you know, one in four adults is classed as obese in the UK. Yeah. And over sixty percent are kind of considered overweight. Yeah. And if that's you know the current population doesn't really bode well for future generations, right? Yeah. And I think the work she's doing is, is hopefully will we'll kind of push us in that direction to, um, to kind of address that. Yeah, because I think something you kind of raised, whether it be in the interview, but just generally when we were preparing for this episode, all right, we've got these kids that have maybe started to consume these unhealthy foods, become overweight, maybe, maybe categorised obese, what are the long-term effects of that? What's kind of the, you know, yeah. we're in a COVID world right now where um, obesity is a factor that is, um, that's quite pivotal in, in the COVID and your response to, to maybe contracting disease. So, so I think it's something that we need to be aware of in terms of, you know, how much of a strain is this going to have on the health, healthcare service? Um, you know, what are the kind of long-term implications of these kind of practices, these kind of um, this becoming the normative behavior for kids to be just yeah. chugging all this unhealthy food. And so the long-term implications are, I think, the reason why this is something that needs to be dealt with now. So then it's not, you know, the, the health service that's having to deal with this matter with, um, and say, for example, another pandemic ha happens in the next 20 or 30 years, then, you, you know, that kind of factor is not going to be one that's going to really determine the number of lives we lose, for example. Yeah, I mean, like like we said in the in the conversation, I mean, obesity is a risk factor in so many deadly illnesses, like types of cancer, like diabetes. So it's right that she's exploring it now, and I I hope that she comes out in a maybe in a very short short time frame some tangible policy recommendations that the government can certainly look at. And I know, you know, we talked about kind of um, the prime minister's scheme about NHS prescriptions and, and there is obviously some thinking going on right now mm -hmm. how we can address this um but no it's um it's fascinating what you're doing yeah I think um, one thing which seems to become a common theme is especially with episode one and this episode yeah. is this idea of maybe the internet needs more regulation I think both Andre and Anna are kind of arguing for more greater, greater regulations, and their research definitely explores the concerns and the kind of the, the, the worries we have with an unregulated internet. You know, I kind of mentioned this idea of the Wild West that yeah. is the internet internet mm -hmm. world right now, and 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 I think well, this is something we'll probably come back to quite a few times in terms. There needs to be some sort of regulation. There needs to be some yeah. sort of limiting exactly what kind yeah. of are okay on 
on the online world. And it's, um, you know, I 100% agree with you. I mean, social media has largely been unregulated for since basically when, when it started. Mm-hmm. And whilst it is a super powerful platform, mm-hmm. and we, we've seen it in the last few weeks, right, with Marcus uh, Rashford's campaign for yeah. uh, with, with Fair fair Share, I think they called it, Fair Share. Yeah, so free school meals. And, right? um, you know, just over the last week, he's amplified that message, right, and got that message to more people. And that's the key word with the platforms, that they amplify things, whether they're good or bad. And they take away that kind of explicitness you had maybe in mainstream broadcast TV, where it's very clear you've got a program, you've got blocks of advertisements, and then you go back to your program. But here it's just, it's there all day. You could go in, you could watch everything all day long and not understand what the difference is anymore. But it's that key word, the regulation needs to be targeted towards the amplification of messages. Yeah. And and in in reality, you may end up back towards a kind of main main kind of mainstream broadcasting where there is explicit blocks. But this is really clear, guys. This isn't paid for content. You're not being advertised to. You. Um, but I think that will take a really long time to yeah. to get there. But you know, it's interesting that you say that that, that is a thematic that's developing. Right, social Absolutely. media companies um, have a lot of power, a lot of influence, good or bad. And um, certainly, uh, it, it does look like regulation is the way is one of a few ways um, to, to kind of rein them in a bit. Yeah. Um, again, responsibility on the various governments of the world to administer the right policies. I think it was kind of funny, or I initially went in with this idea about the kids. <laughs> the kids yeah. are the ones that have to deal with it. And listening back to thinking, what was I thinking? So in my mind, I've got these kids like dressed up like Rambo, like ready to take on these social media influencers, promoting them junk food, uh, this kind of idea. So, so yeah, I think it's rather than trying to put the responsibility of kids, more the responsibility obviously should be on the various yeah. pol- political institutions, yeah. whether it be international or domestic. So, um, yeah, and important. you know, what, one of the things I read after the interview was um, a little bit uh, about nudging. Mm. And it's kind of just relationship with food sustainability and how you can move more people towards, let's say, vegan type foods or non-meat based meals. And, you know, it was a really interesting example where um, kind of recent trials conducted by the World Resources Institute found that when Sainsbury's meat free sausage and mash was renamed Cumberland spiced veggie sausages and mash sales increased by 76 mm. percent. Again, the same product. Um, different title, different presentation, and it had a different, you know, uh, reaction from customers. And I think that's something certainly, you know, Hope and you know, will we'll look at. And and it is kind of the way these social media influencers market their stuff. It is kind of via nudging, right? They've kind of they're, they're having a conversation directly with you. They've got a product next to them that's in your face and kind of subtly referencing it throughout, and you're nudged into thinking more about it and wanting to purchase it. So. I'm I'm sure nudging will, will will be a you know a concept of of good in in kind of addressing this as well. Absolutely, and, and I think it kind of alludes exactly the whole point of why Anna's work is so important because it's looking at such a relevant and contemporary problem. Yeah. In terms of you know the world that we're living in is so kind of online heavy, so that's obviously going to have an effect on how foods are marketed. How are we going to deal with this? So I think you know Anna's got you know, the potential to really have a huge influence in terms of helping find out and create studies and do studies that let us understand exactly our relationship with, 
in the food marketing, whether it be on an online level or, or, or beyond. So yeah. I think she's really important. And also, you know, I think we should definitely mention a huge congratulations to Anna because she just finished or passed her um, Viva and, you know, has got a doctorate. She's now Dr. Anna Coates. Just literally, just, I think, just a week or two before we recorded. So massive yeah. congratulations to her. She's done an incredible job. Yeah. You can see why you know, she's doing so well and she's got an amazing future ahead of her. And and we just we we just asked literally at the beginning of the recording, right? Like, are you a are you a doctor by the way? Because I think you were just finishing your. She's like, yeah, passed. Yeah. So, oh, great. Awesome. Yeah, um, she's done incredibly well. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, yeah, and you know, just another another thought. One one thing that I was interested in, but obviously, you know, we, we can't explore everything in every episode. But I, I would lo- love to bring her back on at some point and talk more about the role of companies, right? The role of yes. the actual brands that are paying the influencers mm. and, and their kind of long-term strategy, you know, the products they make, you know, what, the thinking around high, like foods in high in fats and sugars and salt, you know, like yeah. just understanding a bit more about their production process and how they decide on these influencers they target and, and so on. Because I think that is another part of the chain that's interesting in exploring, right? Yes, um, But definitely. yeah, that's a, for something in the future, but it was just on my mind. Yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of kind of the relationship these these companies have with the, the research that's been taking place and stuff, something yeah. we definitely want to look into. All right. So um, what do we need to say? Go on Twitter. Check us out. It's important. The more you like, the the more we're going to get out there. The more you retweet us, the better. We will be a little bit, little bit lazy. No, a little less lazy on Instagram. I think we've not been using Instagram as much, but we're going to try to use Instagram a little bit more for you guys. So, you know, follow us on that retweet us also recommend people to us if you want to i think that's yeah. also kind of a, a good way we've actually made some contacts because of the way in which certain people have tweeted about us and that's made us get in connection with other people so you know absolutely get in contact with us in, in, to a certain degree um and let us know what you want to hear let us know uh, what what kind of people you might want to see and the kind of topics that you would like to hear about because you know we're all about making sure we're touching the most relevant and pressing issues i've got to stop you there deepak okay um look i, I do wish we could chat longer but i'm having an old friend for dinner <laughs> <laughs> see you next time <laughs> <laughs>